0: When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb, Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Amen. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him beloved this is the word of the lord amen you may be seated did you hear the the experience of people who've not yet fully made it into the presence of god it's a turning experience tears joy sobs, joy, all come together to teach us this truth that everyone who means to be a Christian needs to get comfortable with, and that is the Lord turns sadness into joy. That, that there really there is only one path to joy. It's by the Lord turning sadness into joy. It's the main point of the passage. The Lord turns sadness into joy. And the title of the sermon is Sadness Won't Last. Sadness Won't Last. <laughs> I... I I think that may be the the one sentence that all of us can get on board with. I mean, don't you all want that to be true? Sadness won't last. Psalm 126 holds out something that is desired by everyone. And I think the Lord makes it available to anyone. And Psalm 126 holds out something that is absolutely certain for some. And it does it through these three images that kind of explain the believer's turning experience with sadness. The first one comes in verses 1 through 3. The Lord turns nightmares into dreams. So verses 1 through 3 encourages us with The Lord turns nightmares into dreams. Now, I I don't want to turn this thing we're doing together into a therapy session, but I, I do think this is true that your nightmares, your nightmares probably say a lot about you. I, I, I find, I mean, even in my own home, if I were to share what, I, what my nightmares are, what my wife's nightmares are, what my kids' nightmares are, you'll see the different personalities of each person and the things that their subconscious is scared of. Some people's nightmares are about danger, others about betrayal or loss. For whatever reason, it's a pretty common nightmare to somehow not remember getting dressed before you leave the house. You're going to do something really important. I think that's common. (laughs) Uh, Well, the psalmist in in verse 1 is talking about, not about nightmares, but a good dream. But he's comparing the good dream to the nightmare that God's people had just been living. This psalm, like, like all of them around this psalm, has a a very specific background in the history of Israel. And for them, their nightmare was of the betrayal loss kind of nightmare. They had betrayed the Lord. And in this moment in the history of Israel, they had lost him. That's a nightmare. For them, the nightmare was was reality. That they were actually physically carried away out of Jerusalem into Babylon. Which is a city that has everything you could ever want. Except for the one person. who loves sinners and saves sinners. In Babylon, they were living the nightmare of being away from the one who provides and protects his people. And maybe the worst part of the nightmare is they all knew it was all their fault. He had warned them over and over, if you continue to ignore me, if you continue to disobey me, You will lose me. And that nightmare was their reality. Some of us have tasted the bitterness of the Lord's distance because of our sin. It's possible. To get to the point in life where hope hurts. I just know some of you know what I'm saying. Where, what I mean is you get so used to the nightmare that a good dream is too good to be true. Well, that's what The people are singing about in verse 1. Is then we were like those who dream. Then when the Lord restored our fortunes. We were living in this nightmare. And the Lord literally turned our turning. We had everything with the Lord. And we betrayed Him. And we lost everything. It turned for us and we were sent away from him and then he restored our fortunes. He turned the turning and it was like we were living in a dream. We couldn't believe that the Lord, for them, moved this emperor in Persia. When Persia beats Babylon, this emperor frees the slaves of Babylon to go back home to Jerusalem or Zion, it says in verse 1. And he gives them them money even, resources to go back home to God, to rebuild God's home, the temple. And that's what they're going back to. And that's what they mean when they say, the Lord restored our fortunes. They're not saying... The Lord restored our fortunes as in, you know, whenever we got punished, uh, we lost our family business, and when we got back home, we saw that the Lord had kept it waiting for us. That's not what they're saying when they say the Lord restored our fortunes. Psalm 126 is speaking of a dream-like laughter at a sudden turn of events that you could never have Thought would happen. You had lost all hope. It'd be kind of like if you were a Jewish man or woman. And you and your spouse and all your little children are next in line for Hitler's gas chambers. And you'd watched everyone you knew go in there and not come out. And in that moment, an American soldier walks in. And stops it. It's where your sad certainty totally gets turned around. And if you are a pilgrim, is the way the Bible describes a Christian. Dream come true kind of fortune is not money. It's not getting more money. That's not it for us. And it's not an easier life until we die. It's not a diagnosis-free life. That's not fortune for us. It's also not even better relationships with the people in our life. That's not fortune for us. If you're a pilgrim, fortune is being with the Lord. And it's being with Him in such a way that no one ever takes you away from Him again. There is a kind of joy that you can only experience when you realize what is really most precious. And that thing is completely taken away from you. And then it's all of a sudden restored to you. That's joy. And the Lord isn't dealing with his people in the same way he was in Psalm 126. He no longer lives in the city of Jerusalem. He no longer lives in that building, the temple Or just with the Jewish people. The Lord is in heaven. And Psalm 126 is still a model for us. It's a model for everyone who knows. That earth. This life. Can be a nightmare. If you were made for heaven. Now I'm not trying to say. That. This life is only hard for Christians, that we're only sad, that all we know is hate-filled people. I'm not saying that. The Lord in His kindness still brings many blessings that we even taste even in this life, but Christians still know, and we must never forget, this world is not enough This world is filled with sin, and we are filled with sin while we live in it. This world is filled with selfishness. Death is all over the place here, and therefore happiness cannot last here. So listen, listen to me. If you are following Jesus and your outlook is always happy, You are either in denial or you are not really following Jesus. You are not a pilgrim if you can really just always be happy here. Because what we dream of is a nearness to the Lord that will never end. That is the only thing that can cure a soul sadness. If you're a believer in Jesus, what Psalm 126 says happened to God's people back in this time, it, 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 it is promising something, the same kind of thing is going to happen for us, but eternally. where we will one day fully be with the Lord and never leave again. Verse 2, the the nations, the pagan nations who don't know the Lord, you see this quote around verse 2, they're they're yelling out, even haters of God and haters of God's people are yelling out, I can't believe what the Lord has done for them. Look how he saved them out of the hands of their enemies and brought them back to himself when they were the ones who disobeyed him. What kind of God is this? And then in verse three, God's people adopt what the nation said about them. The Lord has done great things for them. And then they say, The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. For us. If Jesus Christ. Has rescued your soul from sin. Listen, if he's rescued you from being separated from the Lord, then you have reason to sing verse three, no matter what other sadness you're also still enduring. But don't expect just to feel like you're living the dream all the time. Great things and gladness aren't the only thing we're experiencing in this life. There's a really famous stretch of road in San Francisco called Lombard Street. It's just one if you haven't seen it, this is a picture of it at night. It's This is one block. It's really steep. And there's eight hairpin turns going down this one block. I think that's a pretty good snapshot of the Christian life. Lots of turns. So, verses 1 through 3, the people of God are praising God for turning their sadness around. And then it's verse 4, look there, where they have to pray again. Would you turn our sadness around again? Point number 2 from verse 4, the Lord turns deserts into streams. Deserts into streams. You see, the experience of a pilgrim is one in which those fortunes they, they were experiencing, they turned again. They turned back to sadness. That's why they're praying in verse 4. Restore our fortunes again. We need you to do it again. It turned again. For them, we're told in the Old Testament that many chose not to leave babylon many chose that life of slavery away from god over coming back to god relatively few make it back to jerusalem if you remember whenever they whenever they use those resources to rebuild god's temple, his house, to, to welcome God back, to, to experience all the fortune they received in being back with God. If you'll recall, that was a very discouraging experience. There were so many difficulties they faced. Once they finished the temple, they were really sad looking at it because they knew it was not what they remembered. They needed more of God's presence than they got. They were sad. The the garden that they were promised was like a desert. That's why the word Negev is in here. It's a desert. Their life when they got back, even, even you think about the, the agricultural experience. They came to a land that had been neglected for decades. And back then, that was a major problem because farming was so important not only to their physical life, but their spiritual life. When this, says a, a, this is a song of a sense, it was the specific song that they would sing the three times a year that all God's people, wherever they were, would sing on the way back up the mountain of Jerusalem to worship the Lord. They, they always gathered during the annual feasts of Israel. And those feasts always came after a farming harvest. Can you see the problem with the desert? If what you really want is to be in the presence of the Lord, and you're supposed to go to the Lord after a harvest. Pilgrims were required to carry in all their produce that they had received from the Lord of the harvest, and they would go and worship him and thank him for all that he had done in their life, including extending not only their physical life, but their spiritual life. And those years after they first got back, they did not feel like a harvest at all. And so they pray, we need you to turn this sadness again. You know what can seem like living in a desert? Well, I think being a Christian in Graham, Texas. How many of the people all around us just seem to prefer Babylon over Jerusalem? Claim the name of Christ. Claim heaven is where they want to be forever and ever. And yet really struggle to come to church a few hours a week. People who seem very much at home. in this world of riches and achievement, where you worship your family, and you worship their sports, and you worship your entertainment, and you worship your leisure. It doesn't take long after becoming a Christian and being restored to the Lord through Jesus that we all Experience what Christ speaks of when he says, if you will follow me, you better count the cost. All the pilgrims were singing, verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us, we are glad. And then all of the pilgrims sing, verse 4, restore our fortunes again. We're sad again. I'm trying to tell you, There is a pattern that every pilgrim experiences. And you cannot be an exception. Christians are cross-bearing pilgrims. We do not yet live in the fullness of all that God has promised to us. This turn to pain is normal for Christians. It may be different for each one of us. Maybe the pain is physical. Maybe the pain is relational. Maybe the pain is years of unanswered prayers. But pain is the Lord's way of working this world out of his pilgrims. It's the way he works Babylon out of us. Pain is the Lord's way of drawing trusting prayer, like verse four, out of his pilgrims. Because there is a goodness for those who believe that the Lord and being with him is everything. He is everything. There is a goodness to them then realizing that and experiencing that and going to the only one that they want. Psalm 126 reminds us And I hope this is encouraging to you. You are not a freak when your soul turns parched like you're living in a desert. When your soul turns to what seems like the life of a desert, which is totally lifeless. That does not make you a failure in the faith. That makes you a pilgrim. Beloved pilgrims, look up. Pilgrims pray, turn this sadness, O Lord. That's what they're praying. They look around to the Negev, that desert that's right across the way, in verse 4, south of Jerusalem. This desert that had no life, that seemingly had nothing good in it, that looked so hopeless every single year, they knew the Lord would pour out his rain on the Negev. And he would turn dry desert beds into roaring rapids. And the desert became an orchard every year. That's what they're praying. Lord, turn again these deserts into streams. And so they lay out for us every time that the heat of hardship dries out all of your hope. Pray. Pray. To the one you know turns sadness into joy. Pray to him. Lord, my hope is all but gone. This thing that I'm enduring right now is impossible, but you've turned the impossible around before. Would you do it again? Would you flood my soul that feels like an absolute desert? Flood it with joy again. Many of you know what that prayer is like. You know what it means to live in verse 4. Where you're praying. Where you're fighting to be thankful for the little that you do have. And yet you're just desperate for more of what the Lord has promised. So be encouraged that verses 5 and 6 tell us something else. That is, the Lord turns little into lots. Verses 5 and 6, the Lord turns little into lots. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. One reason I wanted to preach this passage again is because Psalm 126 is so realistic about the life that a Christian should expect being a pilgrim sometimes feels like a nightmare. Sometimes it feels like life is just full of bad and scary, danger, and loss, and fear. Sometimes being a, a pilgrim feels like you're living in a desert, where, where, where the circumstances of your life aren't giving you One ounce of hope that things are going to change. And sometimes you have just a little in your hands. But it's really hard. It's like all you have is these little seeds. And you keep on praying and you keep on digging. Begging for this turn. A turn. Not only from sadness, but a, a full turn. A turn into joy. That, that is that Christian form of happiness. That is that deep happiness of soul that is not moved by any sad circumstance. Joy. If you mean to be a pilgrim on your way to heaven, listen, you have to settle something. And that is what are you going to do when life turns? When your pilgrimage to the Lord is filled with tears, are you then going to stop serving and stop hoping? Because verses 5 through 6 lays out a better pattern for your life. Even when you have sadness, there are these promises. So it says in verse 5, you should sow even in your sorrow. Don't let your sorrow stop you from sowing. Sowing seed into the ground Well, I don't know this by experience at all, but I'm told (laughs) it's really hard. And for the pilgrim, it's sad. Sowing for the Christian is any good work, every single good work that you do for the Lord. You're sowing a seed. It's everything you do because of him. It's everything you do because he has saved you. It's it's, it's the things we do, sowing, even in sorrow, is is serving the Lord in spite of your discouragement. Maybe it's discouragement about how others have hurt you by their sin, and and you're still going to obey Him and serve Him, even though you're tempted with questions like, why should I forgive them? Why not pay them back? Or the, the, the sorrow of serving him and speaking the truth to others and seeing so little fruit. The sorrow, the greatest sorrow for us is when we are so discouraged by our own sin, by our own failure. And yet keep serving him. That's what he's saying in verse 5. Now I want you to look at verse 5. Put your eyes on verse 5. And you see these two lines there. Those who sow in tears. And then there's a space before the next line. Shall reap with shouts of joy. You see that itty-bitty space between those lines. Decades can fit in that space. And this is telling you, do not grow weary. You will reap if you keep on doing good and do not give up. Verses 5 and 6 are this formula. If you want joy, I'm not talking about happiness. I'm not talking about easier circumstance. I'm talking about joy, if that's what you want. Joy only grows in fields of tears. So keep sowing, even when you sorrow. It's hard, but you have reason to hope, because it also says you have hope for a harvest. In verse (coughs) 5, when it says... You shall, verse 5, you shall, those who sow in tears, shall reap with shouts of joy. That that word shall, that promise word, is not the well-meaning word of an optimist. Sometimes I'll hear about this as a pastor. People always have this kind of word, my turn's a-coming. And what they mean is their circumstances are about to change. And I want to say, why do you think that? You just need to live a little bit longer and talk to other people who follow the Lord. This is not some plastic, frail, flimsy, this too shall pass. Verse 5's shall promise is from the one who keeps all of his promises. It's from the Lord who answers the prayer of verse 4, and he's teaching us a lesson, just as the sweetness of our ice cream only is achieved by turning bitter chocolate. That's the only kind of ice cream I think of I'm thinking of it. Ice cream, the sweetness of it, can only be achieved by turning bitter chocolate with sweet cream. So, Christian joy only comes from turning bitter sadness with the sweet intentions of a sovereign Lord. Real joy doesn't come from wins. It doesn't come from immediate yeses to your prayers. Loss and hardship in our lives are not evidence that the Lord is somehow inactive. Loss and hardship are the soil where joy grows. So believer, if you're sobbing, Just know, sobs are seed for shouts of joy. And you can can bet this, the only people who will get eternal joy will sorrow now. So you could say a change is going to come. We could call this sermon, a change is going to come. I mean it differently than the prosperity preachers who love this psalm as well. They ignore all of the difficulty in, this, in the psalm. We know a change is going to come that the harvest is outside of this world. And until heaven, there's going to be hard. And yet there's stuff for us to do. Sow in sorrow, hope for the harvest, but also bind up your sheaves, it says in verse 6. Now sheaves are bundles of produce from the harvest. Psalm 126 is promising to us. There is a future where sadness will be no more. Where the only thing we'll be carrying with us is joy. And yet Psalm 126 is also promising something else. It's promising initially to people who who would go up to worship three times a year. They weren't just waiting for sheaves to come at the end of their life. They were waiting for fruit and they expected fruit and they're promised fruit, the fruit of joy, every single time they go up to worship the Lord. They were to bring these sheaves, these evidences that the Lord had been faithful to produce not just fruit, but joy for them. Every time they went to worship. Beloved, sheaves only get full in one way. And that is when the Lord is faithful to turn sadness into joy. But here's what I want you to do with Psalm 126. Even before that's done, like even before he's finished turning your sadness around, even if he's not finished yet filling your life with joy, what a shame it would be to come to worship And all anyone can see is sheaves, like right under your arms. They can see all the evidence of the Lord's work in your life. And then they can just only see tears in your eyes. I'm not saying, I want to be really clear, I'm not saying you better dry your eyes before you come to church. I'm not saying this is not a place where you can cry because of sad circumstances in your life. What I'm saying is, Psalm 126 is telling us it is possible to have tearful eyes and loud mouths. Mouths that are shouting for joy. The Lord has done great things for us, beloved. He's raised Jesus from the dead. He's rescued us from our sin. He is restoring us faithfully even now. And aren't you glad that our experience of worship is different than theirs? What I mean is, we can go to worship more than three times a year. We come into the presence of the Lord with God's people more than three times a year. What I'm saying is, even if you start Sundays with just tears, and that's all you can see, the truths that we sing here, the truths that you hear here can turn you from sadness to joy. So that, at least when you leave, you can be reminded and you can even shout, the Lord has done great things for me. And one day he's going to take all of our tear-soaked seeds and fill our arms with nothing but joy. That is a promise. But it's not a promise for everyone. Sadness won't last for the believer. Sadness will multiply and will never end for all who remain in their sins. So I do want to say, if heaven is not more desirable to you than earth. Not just hell, but earth. If being with the Lord isn't what your soul longs for, hear again what Revelation 21 says is your future. For the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their future will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. It's a death that never ends. I wonder if that makes you sad. I wonder if there's anyone here who is sad, not just because of your suffering for your sin, but who's also sad about something else, who's sad about your selfishness, who's sad about living for yourself when God has given you everything good, who's sad about sinning against the Lord, who is this great, who turns sadness into joy, who is maybe sad, maybe for the first time right now, at the thought of not living with that God forever and ever, Well, we read also this morning about the promise that awaits those who do believe in Jesus Christ. There is a new world where sadness is gone for good, where God will dwell with his people and he will wipe away every tear and death will be no more and there will be no reason to be sad and no reason to cry and no pain anymore because all of that has passed away. You should be asking the question, how can that possibly be if we've sinned against him? How can we be in his presence forever? How can he wipe away our tears? This is why. Because his son was the only one who never needed to experience a turn. Who only knew joy forever and ever. And he took the turn. He took on flesh. He came to the world of sadness and he endured sadness. The Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and the sadness of dying in the place of sinners, despising. He hated being treated like a sinner. He hated how the Lord was treating him like a sinner. He despised that, but he had joy in front of him. That was the joy of saving sinners of turning hell into heaven for anyone who turns to him in faith. Would you do that? Why wouldn't you do that? Trust Jesus to save you, and he will. And if he does... Your life here will be like ours here. It will be the life of a pilgrim. It will be a life that is filled with turns. This world ain't too favorable to foreigners. Loving the Lord will make you feel like you're living a nightmare at times, like you're in a desert at times, like... You have little to be thankful for at times, but I'm telling you, a change, a turn is coming. Your sadness may linger here. Your sadness may be long here. But your sadness can't last because you're not made for here. The Lord has done great things for us. Do you really think our great turner is done? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would take this word, make it life for us. That you would gain all of our trust, no matter how sad we are. That we would keep on serving you knowing a turn is coming when all this will be behind us and joy is all we'll know. Make us faithful until that day. In Jesus' name, amen.